Now, my voice is uh, going to be a bit raspy this morning. I had the absolute privilege and joy of going out yesterday to Adelaide International Raceway to the drags. And I loved every minute of it, I've got to tell you. I loved every minute of it. It was great. It really was good. There is nothing more inspiring than seeing a car with 10,000 horsepower go down a quarter mile in 4.2 seconds, burning 120 litres of fuel in 4.2 seconds. That pushes every button I've got. <laughs> it is loud. It is smelly. There is the smell of burning rubber. It is, and the crowd's going, burrs work. And I'm the chief of the burrs workers. <laughs> loved it. Really did love it. But I saw something uh, uh, modelled in there that's, that's pertinent to my message this morning. There's one of the, the drag teams actually um, chuck out some merchandise into the crowd. They're sowing seeds into the crowd. They give stuff away because they're planting a seed. They're wanting people to support them. They're, they're doing that. You know, it's, and I think it's a great principle in the kingdom of God that as we, we sow a seed, we can expect a harvest to come back. So uh, it's just a, a great, great thing to have happen. This morning I'm going to launch into uh, part four of our series in Overcoming Our Fears. This is something that God's laid on my heart, uh, in particular because the first part of the year we uh, talked about uh, engaging with our community. And as you'll learn if you go through the Passover meal in, in a couple of weeks' time, that the four cups are based in part on the cup of salvation, the cup of freedom, the cup of restoration, and the cup of fulfillment. And in terms of what we do as a church, we sort of like center things around those four cups. We love to talk about salvation. In other words, God's getting his people, when we think about the, the Passover being in the time of, of Joseph and Egypt and, and things of that nature, that uh, God is getting his people out of Egypt. In other words, getting us out of the world. He's saving us from something to something. And that's what we talked about with community engagement. We talked about the cup of salvation. And this morning, we're, we're talking really about the cup of freedom, where we're out of Egypt now, but Egypt's not out of us. There are some mindsets, there's some thinking that we need to realign our thought life and our, our internal world with God's way of doing things. We need to, to get some junk out of us. You know, when, when the people of Israel came out of, of, of Egypt, they still had the thinking of a slave. And isn't that sometimes what happens with us? We had this, this thinking in our lives where we're saved but we've still got the world's way of doing things. We've still got the world's way of, of living, its thought patterns, its processes, its methodology, its philosophy. And I've got to tell you right now, God's kingdom is so far removed from the worldly way of doing things that we've got to relearn some things. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we can determine what God's good and pleasing and great plan for our lives is. And we can go and get in, in touch with that. And we start to, to really come into an alignment with that. 
And then uh, later in the year, we're going to be talking about the cup of restoration. We're actually restored back to our original purpose. What did what God got on your life? What is God wanting you to do with your life? We're going to help people to do that. It's a part of our growth track. If you come to the IC team nights, you're going to find out about uh, finding out what God's purpose for your life is. And then later in the year, like towards the end of the year, we're going to talk about the cup of fulfillment, where we actually get the incredible privilege of making a difference in someone else's world, and it's not just about us. It's where we make a difference in someone else's world. We become part of a team. We, we do something out in our world, and that's the, the whole philosophy behind this. So this whole series about overcoming our fears is designed to change our mindsets and our thought patterns that are more aligned with the world's way than God's way of thinking. Now, in saying that, I also recognize that when we're talking about fears, that it's likely, it's possible that some things might get stirred up in you as I'm talking about this. And as you're thinking about these things, as you're addressing those things, there's this something that's going to rise up in your heart. And you say, you know what, I want, to, I want to tackle this. I'm tired of living with this particular fear. I want to dig a little bit deeper into it. Why have I got this fear? And I want to address that. I want to get healing in this and I want to move forward in my life and I want to leave that fear behind so that I can move forward into all that God has got for me. And I recognize that that might happen to some of you. But I also want to say to you that if you want to dig a little bit deeper, if you want to, to, to address those things, those areas in your life, I've got some resources that might help. So there's some books I could give you to read. There's some study guides that you might like to look at. There are some people that I could recommend to you that you might like to sit down and have a talk with. Some of them are free and some of them aren't. It depends on what you want to do. So I just put that out there this morning just as a, 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 a welcome to the Overcoming Your Fears series. You are going to get challenged this morning, I guarantee it, but it's going to be a good challenge. Yep, for the challenge this morning? Excellent. This side is really up for the challenge. Are you up for the challenge? This, this side, you up for Okay, cool. No, just checking. Just checking. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your wonderful presence here this morning. I thank you that by your Spirit, you're just doing some great things. I thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I thank you that whom uh, the Son sets free is free indeed. And I pray that even as I begin to speak about overcoming our fears, that Lord Jesus, you do something wonderful and incredible in our lives, that we are absolutely transformed by the power of your word. Your word is a fire, Jeremiah says. It's a hammer that breaks open hard places. Lord, use your word to create a fire within us, to burn up the dross and the, and the, the, the rubbish in our lives. Lord, break up the, the ground, the hardness sometimes that we have that protects those things that we think you, we can't let you near because you might mess with it or you might do something or we might get hurt. Lord, I pray, use your word to break open those places in our spirit today and that we can walk free in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, I uh, posted something uh, last week on my Facebook page about the saying of fear. Fear has two meanings. If you think about F-E-A-R, fear can have two meanings. The first meaning of fear is that forget everything and run. Forget everything and run. That's one meaning of fear. Okay? Another meaning of fear is to face everything and rise. F-E-A-R. Same letters, different words, totally different response and reaction that we can have to fear i don't know about you i'm tired of running and i want to rise 
Anyone else here this morning? You want to rise. You want to face some of this stuff and you want to rise. You want to rise to new levels in God. You want to rise to to new purpose. You want to rise to all that God's got for you. You want to rise for your family. You want to rise for your your grandchildren and your your great-grandchildren. You want to set people up in your world for success. And it's, it's it's time for us to rise, I believe, as a church. So this morning, we are going to tackle the fear of the lack. A fear of a lack of provision. It's about our finances and God's provision. So it doesn't matter how much money we make. I don't know about you, but so everyone has financial fears at some point. We don't have to be poor to be anxious about money. Uh, We live in one of the most affluent countries in the world, I believe. And yet it's still possible for us to, at some point, that we may have experienced a fear of not having enough money. Now, I want to say that I know that we've got some visitors here this morning and this may be your first time in church and you know it may be the first time in a long time and you come to a church service and you hear they're talking about money. I, I, I challenge you to ask anyone in this room how often I talk about money in this church. I challenge you to ask anyone and if they say to you that I bang on about it every single week, then they haven't been coming to this church. They've come to some other church that's called Infused Church. That's completely not the church that we are at. It is exceptionally rare for me to talk about money. Okay? So welcome to church. We are going to be talking about money. One of the things I've learned is that the more money we have, the more we have to worry about. The more we have to maintain, to ensure, to protect, and to worry about losing. One of the most amazing, incredible, and all-encompassing promises in the Bible is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It is actually God's guarantee regarding finance, and I want to speak into it this morning. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will, will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I'll say it again, Philippians 4.9, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's some things I want to pull out of this this morning. Number one, it says, My God will. It doesn't say, My God might need, meet some of your needs. He says, My God will. In fact, He's staking his character and his reputation on the fact that he will come through for you. He, uh, he's going to come through for you. You need to hear that this morning. God is going to come through for you. He is going to meet all of your needs. It says then that he's going to meet all of it. It doesn't say that he might meet some of our needs. God says all. That includes our mortgage payments. That means our car repayments. That means the kid's dentist bill. That means the the school fees that we need to come up with. God is going to meet all of our needs. It doesn't say it's going to meet all of our greeds. Okay? There's a difference between needs and greeds. As a parent, we don't give our kids everything that they ask for. They wish... But we don't do that because we love our kids and God loves us 
He doesn't give us everything that we want because we would be spoiled brats if we did. Am I allowed to say that? I just did anyway. He's going to meet all of our needs according to his wealth and his riches. It's not based on our assets. It's based on what God's got. And I'm going to tell you now, he doesn't run out of stuff. If he runs out of stuff, guess what he does? Let there be. He says, let there be light. What happened? There was light. So if he, if he runs out of something, and he doesn't run out of stuff, he just like creates it because he can. That's, that's, God, uh, that's a great God to serve. That's a great God to serve. Man, you got four. Okay. <laughs> then the verse says this, for you that are in Christ Jesus. Everyone say that, for you that are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm in Christ. See, this is a, a promise for believers. This is a promise for believers. Not everyone. God's not promised to meet everyone's needs. He's only promised to meet believers' needs. So the question you might have this morning is, then how come I've got financial needs? How come, how come I don't have everything that I need this morning? Is God a liar? Is he failed? Does he exaggerate? No, no, not at all, not at all. See, with every promise there is something that's called a premise, okay? What, what does that mean? A premise is a requirement. There's a condition placed on the promise, okay? There's things that God says, I'm going to do this if you do this. So there's a premise. God's laid out financial principles in his word. There's principles of saving. There's principles of spending, Okay, here's a big clue. If you're spending more than you're earning, it's no surprise that you've got a lack. You need to ha- just switch that up a bit. Okay, just swap that over. Re- reevaluate your finances, reevaluate your spending, and do something different about it. There's principles of giving, there's principles of investing, there's principles of using our resources. But there are conditions that we can look at this morning that God says if you meet, uh, meet these conditions, then he guarantees that he will meet every single one of our financial needs. Is that interesting to anybody here this morning? Four people want to know about that. Excellent. Fantastic. So, God has promised to meet all of my financial needs in, if we do these five things. If, if you do these five things, I guarantee it, God's going to come through for you. Number one, if we ask for help. Number two, if I learn to be content. Number three, if I practice giving in faith. Number four, if I maintain my integrity and I'm honest with finance. And number five, if I can trust if i trust him completely with my life five things they are all doable number 1 if i ask for help james chapter 4 verse 2 says you do not have because you do not ask god now i know that this is talking about wisdom in the context of that scripture but there is a principle here that you, if you don't ask you don't get See, it's pretty clear that God is waiting for us to ask him. 
He never shuts his storehouse until we shut our mouth. He wants us to ask him for help. The problem is we just don't ask. See, when you bought that last car that you got, did you actually ask God for it or did you just simply go out and buy it? My guess is that we probably just went out and bought it. We probably didn't pray about it. We just went out and we bought it. Yet God says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open for you. You need to underline those three words. Ask, seek and knock. Did you realize that if you took the first letter of each of those words, ask, seek and knock, God's saying to you, ask. Just ask. Ask. Just maybe, just maybe God's trying to tell us something. Just maybe. Hello? Hello? God says it so many different ways. Over 20 times in the New Testament, God says, ask. I just want you to ask. One of the reasons why we never see miracles in our life is that we never ask for the miracle. Would we like to see God move more in our life? (laughs) Then ask. God, I'm about to go to work. I pray, Father, that you use me. Give me someone to talk to about Jesus today. Ask. Lord, I I, I love, I would love to, to see someone healed. Well, don't be surprised if you see someone walking down the street with a walking cane or they've got a hearing aid. Or, or In Jesus' name, I had a word for you, Shale, on, uh, on Wednesday night. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear. In Jesus' name, I pray healing over your ears in Jesus' name. He has ears, Lord, and I pray that he hears. If anyone else has a hearing problem here this morning, I just want you to put your hand up. In Jesus' name, I pray that they have ears, let them hear. I pray a dramatic improvement. Harry, you can't put your hand up because you went to the drag, so it's going to be loud anyway. (laughs) No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. In Jesus' name, I pray healing in these ears. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Clarity of hearing. And all the wives said, Amen. My hand never went up. I'm a smart cookie. Okay? (laughs) Here's a thought. Here's a principle. Before we pay for it, why don't we pray for it? That was a good point. Stop and ask God. Give God a chance to give it to us before we go out and buy it. See, we probably depend more on our credit cards than we do on God. Why does God want us to ask? Well, simply because he's a loving father. Loving fathers love to give gifts to their kids. It says in John 16, 24, Until now you've not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. See, my question is, why does God want us to ask? So he can give to us. Well, why does God want to give to us? So that we can receive. So why do we, does he want us to receive? So that we can be full of joy. So why do we need to be full of joy? So we're a great advert for Jesus. 
That was a really good point too. (laughs) Joyful Christians have a positive testimony. Where God comes through for you. Where he healed you. Where he, he provided something for you. Where he did something in the area of your workplace, where he, he got you that promotion, where he got you that, that breakthrough, where he, he did something incredible. You, that's an incredible testimony. But sucking lemons and being bitter about what God doesn't bring to you is not a great advert for Jesus. That's when we need to give a sacrifice of praise. I, it was. I watched Marie worshipping this morning. She's in the midst of grief and hurt and pain, but she gave a sacrifice of praise. I believe God honours that and, and cherishes those moments where it's, it's so hard sometimes for us to, to, to raise our voice or to worship or to lift our hands or even come to church because we're so devastated by what, what goes on. And I don't mean to make an example of, of Marie. It's just a, a powerful thing that you did. It really was. But sometimes we need to give a sacrifice of praise. And sometimes it's when God doesn't do what we want him to do. Can I say to you that God doesn't do what you want, he wants, you want him to do because he's got something better for you. Number two. Number two <clears throat> is if we'll learn to be content. Why do we need to learn to be content? Because God's far more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. He wants us, catch this, because I've heard my parents tell me this many times when I was growing up. You'll find this hard to believe, I know, but it's true. They say, I wish you'd grow up. (laughs) God wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants us to, to, to develop as people of God, as his children. We've got some mature people in here who are still messing around with stuff that children do. And we need to grow up. That too was a really good point. <laughs> See, he's not just interested in making life easy. He, he watches our attitude. See, if we bought into the, self, uh, the system that uh, we think that we, if we have more, it's going to make us happy. Or if we just intend to use our wealth selfishly. Or if we're going to uh, think about things more than we think about God. Why is God going to aid our addiction? That's five really good points. (laughs) He's watching our attitude. Have we learned to be content? See, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. I'm not sure. I was there at the birth of all my kids, okay? And not once did I see any of my kids come into the world with cash, cigars, and cars. <laughs> not once. I've done a few funerals in my time, okay? And it's my observance that they've taken not a great deal with them. In fact, they've taken with them what they came in with, and that was a birthday suit. We're not taking nothing out with us. What is contentment? Contentment means that my happiness is not dependent upon my circumstances. Most of us get caught up in this when thinking. 
when I get such and such, then I'll be happy. When I get a certain level financially, I'll be happy. When I get that job, I'll be happy. When I retire, then I'll be happy. When I get the house paid off, then I'll be happy. When I get the bills paid off, then I'll be happy. But see, God knows that once we get what we want, there's going to be something else. God wants us to learn contentment. Paul learned contentment. In Philippians 4.12, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or have everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation. See, contentment has, is, is something that we learn. It doesn't come naturally. So how do we learn to be content instead of being discontent? Well, we need to stop doing the things that cause discontent. Comparing is a great thing that causes discontent. I don't know about you, but one day you buy this fantastic car. You've been saving for it. You've done the research on it. You know all the technical specifications of it. You know the modifications that you can make to this car. They're going to make it a humdinger of a car. And you've got all this planned and stuff like that. You buy the car. You've got great contentment. you great happiness out of the car. It brings you great joy. It's the, the love of your life. But then the new model comes out. And all of a sudden, you're comparing the new model with what you've got. And you're thinking, man... Gee, that looks really good. And we compare and we're no longer content with something that's brought us great joy and happiness. Can I be real honest with blokes now this morning? Okay? I'm just going to step out on a limb like this, all right? You're married to an incredible woman. Husbands. I'm talking to husbands. You are married to the most incredible woman that's ever walked the planet of the earth. God lined you up with your wife. He specifically chose her for you. And what porn does is to create a comparison where the porn becomes more attractive than your wife. And there's no, all of a sudden there's a division, a separation between you and your wife because you've compared. And you're wanting your wife to compare with the porn. Cut it out. In Jesus' name. It got really quiet in here, but that's okay. I needed to say that. If you're, it does, but it's, it's more prevalent among men, okay? And again, I'm going to ask you, just like with finance, how often I talk about porn. That is the first time that I can remember in many years I've spoken about porn, okay? So if you come in, oh, they're just talking about porn again. <laughs> it's not true, but I'm serious, okay? Cut it out, grow up. That's one of the things Jesus is saying to you. Grow up. Come on, girls. Come on, girls. Give us a... <clears throat> okay. Contentment is something we have to learn. All right? So here's, here's the thing with, with, uh, with wealth. Okay? Can God trust us with wealth? Well, the question is, have we learned to be content? I don't know why, but God has chosen money to be the acid test of our faith. Okay? We spend our entire lives thinking about making it, earning it, saving it, spending it, using it, and we think about it. 
God uses finance as the acid test of how much we trust him. And he wants us to ask him when we have a need. And he wants us to learn to be content. That our happiness isn't dependent on how much or how little we've got. The third thing. Okay? Third premise, third condition, third requirement that God's asking of us in the area of trusting him with finance and stuff like that is if we practice giving in faith. It's the law of the harvest. Okay? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. <clears throat> I hope I do this okay. My heart is never to place people under pressure to give tithes and offerings or to give money in circumstances. Okay. If you ever feel pressured in this church to give money, my encouragement to you is don't because God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give under feelings of guilt or compulsion and things like that. People come to your door asking you for fundraising and donations like that. Unless God speaks to your heart, you can say to them, my pastor has told me not to give because I'm not going to be giving cheerfully. (laughs) Same thing on the phone. They get on the phone. Hi, we're from such and such, okay? And look, my pastor has said, whom I respect, I love. I think he preaches great message. Um, don't give under compulsion. Don't give because you feel guilty. God wants, he's interested in our attitude about finance. He's interested in our attitude about money. And sometimes we've just got to grow up. God's able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. See, the, the principle is the, the law of the universe and it applies to every area of our life. See, if you find yourself sowing criticism, you're going to reap it. If, if you're really happy to talk about someone else, don't be surprised when someone else is talking about you different message (laughs) if we sow kindness we will reap kindness okay like i said to you uh, i saw this modeled really well with this this drag racing team yesterday at the drags they were giving out free merchandise they were chucking it into the crowd now sure it's an advertising thing that they're getting out there and they're they're promoting what they're doing but they're giving stuff that came out of their own pocket That came out of their savings to be able to do what they were doing and throwing into the crowd. But they'd cottoned onto a principle that if they are generous with stuff like that, there are going to come people that want to sponsor them as a team so that they can continue to do what they're doing. See, this is the thing. Whatever we need more of, we need to give away. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. All right. So, see, if, if a farmer has four sacks of seed in their barn and they look at their barren field with no crops, they don't start whinging about 
there being no crops. What they do is that they go and they grab their seed and they plant that seed. See, when we have a need, we need to plant a seed. Okay? No farmer in their right mind says, I can't afford to plant. Uh, I'm going to hang on to my seed. There's no, no way that they're going to get any sort of a harvest. It only multiplies when they plant it, when they give it away into the soil. Okay? So the farmer's got to plant the seed. If he holds on to it, saying that that's all he's got, but if he gives it away, it's going to multiply. If he plants the seed. It's true with our money and everything else in life. It's illogical that when we have a need, that we give away. I don't know about you, but God's ways aren't our ways. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What? Why did God set it up that way? Because God's a giver. He's the most generous giver in the universe, and he wants us to learn to be like him. If we don't learn to be generous... If we don't learn to give, if we're stingy, we're miserable about giving, always worrying about what we've not got rather than what we do have, we're never going to be like Jesus. Every time we're generous and give, look what God set in place. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says this. Jesus says, and it's in red, give it and it will be give, give and it will be given unto you. The measure you use to give out will be the measure which God uses to give back to you. We like to say, well, Lord, I'll give when I've got all my needs met. And God says, no, 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 no. When you give, then your needs will be met. Now, hear me clear. You need to give according to your faith. I'm not asking you to chuck your brains out here. Okay? I'm asking you to think about what you're doing. If you're struggling financially, look at what you can do and give that part that you determined and between you and God to say, this is what I'm going to give. This is what I can give joyfully. This is what I'm believing. This is my faith to be able to do. And then you do that. Work up towards a 10% if it's tithing as your issue. Start with 1% or half a percent. But do something. Sow a seed in some way, shape or form. I'm not telling you to start at 10% and then work your way up to 90. That is some people's goal. It's their area of faith, and that's the area of faith that they want to move into. Praise God that God's given them that goal. It's not my goal, okay? Because God hasn't spoken to me about that. But I'm not going to denigrate them or put them down because that's what they want to do. They've got this thing going with God, and they're learning to trust him in ever-increasing ways. But start with something. Start with something. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you that so that in all things at all times, having all that you need you know, to be able to carry out every good work. If this verse is really true, what have we got to worry about? The trouble is we don't have this, this verse in our spirit. We don't have this verse in our, in our radar, in our world, where we're starting to look at that and think about that and, and start to believe that and walk in that. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all of your income and he'll fill your barns to overflowing. That's a promise. See, the principle of tithing is that every time we, get, we make $100, the first $10 goes back to God. If we make $1,000, then the first 100 goes back to God. Tithing isn't charity, it's an act of worship. 
See, it's an act of worship that says, all of that I've got from, has come from God in the first place. And if it weren't for you, Lord God, I'd have nothing. So what we're saying is, God, I'm going to give you the first part. Why do we give him the first part? He doesn't say, pay all your bills and then give. Why? Because God needs it? No, because he wants what it represents. And it represents our heart. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This is why it's the acid test of our faith. When people join a church, the last thing that they join with is their money. When people leave a church, the first thing to leave is their money. It's the acid test of our faith. When people don't like what the preacher is preaching, the first thing to stop is their money. Got really quiet then, didn't it? <laughs> it's the test of our faith. What, what do we really think about God? And is that seen in our money? You haven't preached about this for a very long time, but you're sure doing a good job now. <laughs> I'll make myself laugh. Really, I do. I love what I... I, I some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth at times just floors me as well. <laughs> Give the first part of the income to the Lord and watch him bless it, church. Jane and I, we love to tithe. And we don't actually tithe 10%. We do more, and I'm not saying what we do it just to brag. I'm just simply stating as a fact. Our faith is that God's our supply. He's going to meet every one of our needs. Our trust is in him. And that's as simple as I can put it. We're not asking you to do anything that we're not doing ourselves. You're welcome to look at my finances and see how much we do. I don't mind. I've got nothing to hide, but I don't do it to brag. I'm simply saying, I'm, I'm doing what I'm preaching here. Okay? When we give the first part of our income to the Lord, somehow he makes the 90% expand and we're able to pay more with it. It's like with a, uh, um, a quiet time. You know, you set aside a quiet time. All, you know, you're thinking, man, I'm giving up part of my sleep here. I'm giving up part of my day. It's amazing how much more you can achieve in your day when you've had a quiet time because God makes the time up for you. It's no different with money. It's no different with finance. If we were determined to give to God, my faith is that he's going to make it up. Fourth thing, if we maintain our integrity. This is one of the, the premises, the requirements. Proverbs 16 says this. 16 verse 11. The Lord demands fairness in every business deal. See, God doesn't bless dishonesty. That includes wages, sales, and taxes. If you're a business person, act with integrity. Pay the government what they're due. That means tax. Okay? It, it doesn't mean under-the-counter deals. Do you know what I mean? Cash in hand. It doesn't mean the five-finger discount. Does anyone know what I mean by five-finger discount? You just flog it. If you're a tea leaf. Thief. That's rhyming slang. A tea leaf. 
a thief. Stop, stop stealing. <clears throat> that pencil on your desk at home, where'd you get it? Moving right along. <laughs> Proverbs 19 verse 1, better to be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. Why? Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world yet he loses soul? Proverbs 10 verse 21, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. Profit made dishonestly always brings trouble. Our jails are full of people who acted dishonestly with money in some way, shape or form. We will always reap what we sow. If we're dishonest with others, it will be returned to us. And you might be thinking here, well, it hasn't happened to me. Well, the clock's still ticking. Okay? Just be careful. If you're doing the wrong thing, stop. Change what you're doing. Do the right thing. Sometimes the pressure to get ahead or to keep up is so overwhelming that even we as believers are sometimes tempted to compromise our morals. You can ask Jane, there have been times, and I don't know how I've done this, but I've done this. You go shopping in the supermarket and you put the dunny paper, the big 20-pack, in the front of your, your trolley there. You load everything else up onto the conveyor belt. You pay for it and you walk out of the shop and you've forgotten to pay for the 20-pack of dunny paper. Okay? I have turned red with embarrassment and I've gone back and I've said, I have forgotten to pay for this. I apologize. I'd like to pay for it now, please. I've, it's, I've been gobsmacked. Dog biscuits as well. Yeah, yeah, the tray underneath the trolley. 20 kilos of dog biscuits. You walk out of the show. Um, how you can walk out with something so large is just beyond me, but you do. It's just a mistake. But the thing is, fix it. Fix it. Don't walk away and say, oh, start the car. If you haven't seen the Ikea ad, that's just gone straight away. Okay? Woman makes this great deal in Ikea, and you know, she's out the door, she thinks she's made a steal. So she yells out to her husband, start the car. Okay. God said he will meet all our needs if we ask for his help, if we learn contentment, and if we give in faith, and we maintain our integrity. And the fourth, fifth thing, sorry, is this. If we trust him with our life. Matthew 6.33 says, Your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well what you need and he will give it to you if you ask him. Give him first place in your life and you live as he wants you to. God already knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask for it. He will provide. He cares for the sparrows and they don't worry. It's only us human beings that seem to worry about it all. If he takes care of the birds... He'll take care of us if we trust him, and that's the issue. How much do you really trust God? How much do you really trust God? If I was to ask you to think about anything this week, in your quiet time, in your car, as you travel to or from work, or as you're doing whatever it is, drill down on this question. How much do you really trust God?
See, we have this saying, I guess, as, as in our culture, if it's to be, then it's up to me. I looked in the Bible. I did a Google search. It ain't in there. It ain't in there. See, worry is a warning light that we are doubting the love of God. And when we doubt the love of God, we always get into trouble. See, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. No matter how much we make, we can lose it all. It, it's, it's uncertain thanks to long-term illnesses and hospital bills and, and disasters. There's so many ways that we can be wiped out in a matter of months, sometimes a lot quicker than that. So we've got to remind ourselves that our security is not our bank account. Our security is Jesus. If God closes one door, he can open another. Psalm 111 verse 5 says he gives food to those who trust him. He never forgets his promises. The book of Romans tells us that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us to pay for our salvation. God loves us enough to send his own son to die for us. Don't we think that he's got enough to take care of our bills too? The greatest price that ever needed to be paid has already been paid for by Jesus. We just need to trust him in the area of our finance and how we're going to live from day to day. The whole theme of this series is Psalm 34, verse 4, and it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. The answer to our fears is a person, and his name is Jesus. We need to hope in the Lord. When we're afraid in any area, that it's that we've forgotten what God is really like, who he is and, and what he's promised to do. Worry is... is Almost like turning ourselves into an atheist. We no longer believe that God can look after us. And we've got to ask ourselves, do we really trust God? Why am I worrying? Have I asked God to help me with this worry? And to trust him that he's going to bring us through. God said, I will do this. That's the promise. If you'll do this. And that's the premise. When things get drastic, don't break out the plastic. When things get tight, seek the Lord with all your might. This morning, I, I, I thought about how we could round this off. <clears throat> and what I would like us to do is to make a commitment in these five areas, a personal commitment between us and God this morning. So what I would like to do is for us uh, in a moment to stand and I will say something out. And if you want to do this, it's up to you. But I'm going to ask us to make this following commitment. And this is what we're going to do. So you know what you're committing to. And I'm not just going to spring this on you and think, oh, gotcha. Okay? We're going to make this, this. This is the commitment. Okay? Lord, I'm making a commitment today to start asking you for help. To learn to be content. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to tithe the first part of my income as an act of worship. And in faith, you'll take care of my needs. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to live with integrity and to be honest in my finances. And Lord, I'm making a commitment today to trust Jesus Christ completely in every area of my life. Amen. That's the commitment I'm asking us to enter into tonight or today. I said tonight because it's almost dark. Daylight saving.
<clears throat> so if you want to make that commitment, let's stand as a church. Let's stand up. I'll say it out loud. And if you are wanting to enter into this commitment, then you say it out loud too. But mean it from your heart. This is, this is just business between you and God. This is just between you and him. For some of you, this is going to be a stretch. Some of you, it's going to be difficult. Some of you, it's going to be a little bit hard, something that you've never done before. But if you start to make this commitment, and maybe even download the sermon, and you, you have a listen to it again, and the parts that you felt God speak to you about, have a look at those, those scriptures. Ask God to speak to you into, into your world in those moments. And ask him, so, help me to trust you more. He's not going to leave you, you know, like hang you out to dry. He's, he's going to be with you and walk with you through this process. But let's, let's make this commitment. You ready to make a commitment this morning, church? Okay. So I'll say it, then you, you repeat after me. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to start asking you for help to learn to be content as well. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to tithe the first part of my income as an act of worship. And in faith, I know you'll care for my needs. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to live with integrity and be honest in my finances. Lord, I'm making a commitment today to trust Jesus completely in every area of my life. Amen. This morning, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know everybody here this morning, but I've 